In 2019, after an illustrious career as one of the UK's best known and best loved professional wrestlers, the Dominator decided it was time to call it a day. We were there in the final night, talking to his friends and foes, and recording the final match of the Dominator's 25 year reign. You can watch all that on YouTube, and a link to the video is in the show notes below. Then, after the hubbub of the big night died down, we spoke to the man who was the Dominator, Stu Allen, about what it's been like fighting not just the men in the opposite corner, but waging a battle to keep British wrestling relevant and in the public's consciousness. Here's what he had to tell us. My name's Stuart Bailey, and this is Hastings in Focus. to be honest with you. I said I've been doing this, well you cited it yourself, 25 years, quarter of a century isn't it? Yep. It's a long time. I mean it's now what, three weeks since the, the finale? Mm. I mean we, we saw you that day, we chatted to you that day and I, 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 let's just take a look at the um, how you were that morning because a couple of people said to me they thought you looked a bit nervous. Let's have a look. <laughs> Two, 12 hours time. Your career's going to be over. It is, mate. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how are you feeling today? It's a big day. Yeah, it's a hell of a day. I didn't realise um, how quick it was going to go, really. Um, I, you know, we sorted this out and booked it. We've had it in the pipeline for, what, six months? Yep. Um, and it was, you know, just put it on the back burner. It's fine. It's all going to be cool. And now in the last few weeks, it's like, here we are. We're actually here now. And it's, it feels really weird. I mean, the social media has been full of messages mm. and good wishes and all that. I mean, that, that, that must sort of bring a warmth to your heart. Something has, <laughs> something has to. <laughs> no, it's true. It's been lovely. It's been nice. Obviously, I'll, you know, show day, Tan will tell you that I like to be left alone on show day. Yep. And like to stay in the background and, and do as, as little as I can get away because I do all the build up, I do all yep. the negotiations, everything else that comes with it. On show day, I like to be left alone. There's no chance in hell that's going to happen today. Yeah. Um, and I've just got to let people come to me and, and just appear. everyone has been sent to me, the people that have been in my shoes before, they've said, um, you know, just soak it up. Well, it's on record now for yep. everyone. Um, I'm not going to be doing this again. It's, it's, it's not, it's, uh, it's, it's, not um, under my own um, conditions, it's under doctor's orders. Yeah, yeah you, you've, been, you've been quite honest about that, that you're 25 years yeah. in the ring has taken its toll on your body. Um, yes, it has. Well, it's not just that, so I've said I had, I had a serious car crash back in April. Yep. That kind of put the icing on the cake, um, yep. and I don't want to be a statistician. I, I want to go on, it's to a degree on my own terms, really. I think, I think when you spoke, when you, you initially made the announcement and we did a story about that in Hastings and Focus. I think you said at the time you just knew the time was right. Yeah, absolutely. I've wanted to cross I've, I've been wanting to do this for about ten years. Yeah. But but 
since obviously getting into my relationship with Tarn and opening the school down there and having the huge amount of success that we've had with it, that's kind of kept me going. Yep. Um, and a lot of times when I felt like I, was, I didn't want to do it anymore, having those, thank you, cheers, having those guys around me um, and, and, and a much younger crew yep. and having like vibrancy around me and youth and that it has kept, probably pushed me to do it longer than I would have expected to. So three weeks on, talk me through that day. I mean, you, at that point, you weren't quite sure how it was going to go. How, how did you feel? When everyone says to me before a show, for weeks before a show, are you, are you looking forward to it? Are you excited? No, I'm not. If I, if, if I was wrestling for someone else, I would be looking forward to it. I'd be um, wanting it to be a big house. When it's your own show and it's your money on the line, your dollar on the line, you, and your you know your babies are in there you've been nurturing you've been teaching your best friends your wife you want to make sure that, that show a goes well no one gets physically badly hurt um that the crowd go home happy and that you've made some money yeah. so that you the, that morning you caught me as probably the worst morning of my life in a lot yeah. of ways because all my adult life I've been a pro wrestler. Yep. And that was literally, that was, oh, you just called me, I'd just woken up, put my suit on, came out to meet you. You know, everything was going through my mind. And I think that was kind of what I hoped to try and catch. It was just that, you know, the start of the day, and you know, he was probably one of the, mm. one of the most significant days in your professional career was uh, the most, in front I mean, of you. You know, I've, I've done, from being the opening match in Jamaica, where he'd never seen wrestling before, to a main event in shows against hometown heroes in Germany, France, Belgium, you name it. But nothing prepared me, was ever going to prepare me for, for that day. And I'm just glad. I mean, it went so fast, it was ridiculous. From, see, from seeing you in the morning to when you and your son caught me in the evening, yep. that day literally went by in a blink. Stu, Dominator, you stepped out of the ring for the last time, how does it feel? Uh, well, I don't really know to be honest mate, I've, uh, I've, I've taken far too many, uh, far too many painkillers and whatnot to be able to really know what's going on, but it was, no, it was good, it was good, it, was a, uh, it felt a bit clunky, it certainly wasn't a, a, pretty, a picture perfect pretty match, but it felt great, the reaction was all I wanted. Uh, that, that reaction at the end, that must feel amazing. Yeah, the reaction was what we wanted. I mean, it was, it was uh, for, for a cage match, it felt a bit stilted, the, the, the noise, but then obviously they were waiting for the big build-up at the end, which they got, and the, the, the finale felt good. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the retirement before we sort of go back to the beginning. I mean, you, you said to me earlier in the year, when we, we first spoke about the retirement plan, that you had got to a stage where you just felt the time was right. Yeah, I, I, my chiropractor, a lovely Chinese fellow called Yen Yang Ko in, in Oxford, who put me right for years and years, he told me that you won't be wrestling by the time you're 35. Mm -hmm. Ten years later, here we are. Um, and so, you know, I had to listen to my body. I had to, um, no, my, you know, Tan didn't want me to retire. None of this lot wanted me to retire because, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're on my ship. Yeah. I'm, I'm driving their ship. Yeah. But they understood that the time was right when I said it would be right. Yeah. And it had to be down to me, no one else. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to be one of the lucky ones to be able to turn around and say, when my time, when my time was up, I've lost so many friends who've died in the ring or um, have been crippled and uh, live, live with disability because of wrestling. 
and I wanted to walk out on my own terms. Because watching the shows, you know, the you know, people scoff a little bit at professional wrestling, but the closer up you get to it, mm. and you watch what people are doing, some of those you know, high aerial stunts, jumps, mm. the, the, the really impressive, but if those go wrong, there's the potential for that to be quite serious. People don't realise, I've said to people all the time, you know, people say to me, what's the best training for wrestling? Wrestling. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to tell you to go on a bike, I'm not going to tell you to go on a rowing machine or a stepper. Wrestling is the best way. And with kickboxing, with MMA, there are limitations. You can, you, you, you can go light, you can spar. You can't spar with pro wrestling. You have to do it full tilt. Yep. There is no sparring. It is what it is. There's no semi-contact, is yep. what I'm saying. Yep. And people think, you know, we don't go out there and hit each other, they're, they're wrong. Yep. They're wrong. Um, and um, a lot of the guys who stand in this very room, and look, you know, they might look down their nose at some of the guys that were teaching, but when I say to them, do you fancy having a go? None of them do. Mm. Because they don't fancy it. Yep. Because there is no semi-contact. It is, we, we do what we do. Um, yep. And that's, that is the difference. And that's why, that's why it hurts. Every bump that we take yep. is the equivalent of a 20 mile an hour car crash minimum mm. on your body. Now you think, over 25 years, how that, how, how that takes its toll on your yeah. body. Yeah, and you, that's what I'm saying about being close to it and actually standing there at the side of the ring or when we were filming at your, your final show. Mm. Uh, you, you, you can hear it, you can see it, you can, you can, you can sense it. Well, it's, it's so palpable it's, when you're there, isn't yep. it? Um, you, you were closer than, you know, you were closer than a lot of the fans, you got to yep. see it. And people said to me, well, you know how to fall. I don't know how to fucking fall, I'm 25 stone. Yep. I fall how I fall. Yep. And people think, you know, we use fake chairs. I'd love to know where you can go and buy a fake chair, because I'll get to farm <laughs> one. You know, they think the blood's not real. Yep. And the blood's real, the chairs are real, the, 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 the shots are real. Yep. Um, and, like I said, I'm 45 now, I want to be able to enjoy my retirement. Um, I've had guys who've been in, in the ring, who've been wrestling for two years with a broken neck. Yeah. Now you tell me any other sport yeah. where that would happen. So let's go back to the start. I mean, again, one of the early conversations we had, I remember you telling me that you, you saw wrestling on television, you were a teenager, mm. and you realised that's what you wanted to do. Far younger than that. I right. was six. Right. Do you, do you remember who that was that you saw? Um, I don't remember the exact match, but I remember it was on the... You know, I, was, I used to be, I've always been obsessed with sport because yep. my father was a professional golfer. So for years I was always, I was always I've always been around sport all my life. Um, so I was obsessed with Saturday afternoons, coming and watch the football scores on grandstand. One day I happened to switch over onto ITV and there was World of Sport. Yep. And the colours, the, the, um, the movement, the, 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 the smoothness of the way the guys moved and fed into things got my attention. Mm -hmm. And I thought there was something different about this. There was something beautiful about it, artistic about yep. it. And then, of course, as I watched over the coming weeks, you see the characters and being a kid, it's a big thing. Yep. Um, so, yeah, from that age, I was immediately hooked on it. And of course, your, your mentor, your, your, your big mm. trainer was Adrian Street, who in, in those days of World of Sport Wrestling was a huge star in this country. Yeah. And, uh, but then he went off to America and that's where you went to train. How did you, you know, how did you raise the money? How did you, what did your parents say to you when you said, I'm off to America to train as a wrestler? The good thing is my parents, when I said I wanted to do it, um, I chose Skull Crushers 
in Pensacola, Florida, because there were no real wrestling schools over here. There was Hammerlock mm-hmm. in London, run by a fellow called Andre Baker, who's knocked out some world-class talent. So some of the greatest wrestlers in the world have come out of that school. But I wanted to go to Adrian's because my parents had an apartment in Florida, so I knew Florida well, um, and I wanted to go over there. Um, plus, I knew of Adrian. I knew that he was a groundbreaker. He was the first person to come out to music in this country. He was the first person to do such an outlandish gimmick that got him yep. almost blacklisted from a lot of venues. Um, and uh, I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this properly. But my, my parents were fantastic. My, my father, obviously, being a touring golf professional, my mother was an actress, mm-hmm. and she was an actress. Um, she, she was from Cheltenham Ladies College, and it wasn't the done thing to, to be an actress. I was, looked down, yes. I was looked down upon. And she was always told, you know, I don't, we don't want you doing this, as was my father. So they, in turn, supported me mm-hmm. because they didn't want the same experience that they'd, they'd had. So they were nothing but supportive of it. So you arrive in America. What age were you when you got there? 18. So you're 18. Yeah. You've got this really famous guy in front of you. Yeah. He didn't make it easy, did he? No, it was terrifying, actually, because um, uh, I met, met Adrian and Linda. They came and picked me up from the airport, Pensacola, in this kind of, it was like the, you know, the Scooby-Doo wagon, you know? I was expecting Adrian, so I was expecting it to be, you know, feather boas and yep. sequins and everything. It wasn't, it was a beat-up old, uh, you know, it was like a beat-up old... Um, you know, Jalopy. Like, yeah, it was like an old... It was, yeah, exactly that. And so... Adrian turns up and um, here's your digs, um, and he made it in clear, no uncertain terms. You're here to you're here to work. Yep. Um, I ain't going to be feeding you. Um, me and that, this is me and Linda's space. This is your space. There's the ring. You can wrestle in there night and day. You can do. You can train all day long if you want. Um, and it was a meagre lifestyle. It was. It was. Uh, it, you know, there was no frills to it at all. He made sure we were the only two. St- TV stations were allowed was NBC and, and the fucking shopping channel because Adrian was too tight to give us anything else. So, we, you know, you know so that was it. I know with your training school and with your, you know, the people who, who train with you, you're very strict that you, they, they have to train for a certain length of time, they have to achieve certain standards mm. before you put them on a show. Yeah. How long was it, you know, how, how much training did you have to do before you first let loose in the public? Six months, three times a day. Mm. These guys train, some of them train three hours a week, Mm. which is nothing. I was training three times a day. I was up up in the morning at seven. Um, By 10 o'clock I was by the swimming pool licking my wounds, eating a tuna sandwich listening to Nirvana, thinking about why the fuck am I here. By lunchtime Adrian was out there kicking the hell out of me again. Um, I'd have have dinner. Um, then, then, then the nighttime session, then um, a 12 to 15 mile walk with Adrian until your thighs were raw. It was, but it was lovely. I yeah. gonna, you know, you got to hang out with him and got to pick his brains and got to hear his stories. Often yep. read, repeat the same story every day. So you just have to pretend you're nerd him. So I take it those walks, it was the storytelling. Was that also, you know, sort of, teaching you yes. a little bit about the profession, 100%. how to look after yourself, how to... Yeah. Looking back on it now, you know, back then you think, oh, you're just a kid listening to an old man telling his stories. Yeah. And now you look at it and you think he was preparing you yeah. for um, things to come. Yeah. Um, and there's so many um, ways on how to be, be your own agent, how to prepare you 
to when you get out there. It's all very well learning to be a wrestler, mm-hmm. but if you you know if you're not your own agent, no one else is going to be. Yeah. You've got to represent yourself. You've got to promote yourself. You've got to market yourself. Mm-hmm. And everything he did was, I think, that gave me head and shoulders. Uh, that made me head and shoulders above everyone else in this yeah. country because no one else was really, really doing that properly. Tell you what, let's take a look because one of the young lads that you've kind of treated in that way mm. is is Taylor Whoopi Lee. Um, and we spoke to him the, the the day of your finale. So let's have a look and mm. and, see, and see what he he was saying. Getting ready for the fight tonight. I am indeed. Got to defend my championship against Kelly Six. You know, man's been to Japan. He knows his way around the ring. But this is mine. Are you keeping it? Oh, I am indeed. This is never leaving my side. Bit emotional tonight. Your your mentor's bowing out. He is. It, the last match of the Dominator, 25-year career. Can't say anything that hasn't been said. You know, he's a legend of the business. It's not going to be the same on the shows about him. But knowing he'll be around backstage and still making the decisions and keeping the company going, that's that's a good thing. And, and he's, he's the man who got you into wrestling, isn't he? He is, yeah. As a kid, when I was 10, I went and watched EWW at Summerfields, and I was like, I want to do that. That was it. I decided I wanted to be a wrestler. He took me on, he took me on, and I've been training him since I was 12 now. Got my championship. I'm here regularly doing these shows in front of a thousand people. I couldn't have asked for more. So, the, the influence that Adrian had on you, is that what you tried to bring to... And, I, I, I'm not as tough with this lot as Adrian was with me, yeah. because if I was, half of them probably wouldn't come back. <laughs> but some of them have had it, don't yeah. get me wrong, yep. Scarlett and AWOL, yep. who started out with me, I, they, they had it hard. A lot of these have had it hard too, but perhaps not the same as Adrian. Mm-hmm. But in that, they've had to instill the work ethic in them, yep. which at times can be hard. Lupo, young Taylor, has um, always been one of my one of my best students really in yep. the fact that he's legitimately had to live hand to mouth mm-hmm. um, and been homeless and always managed to find time and energy and a smile that kid, yeah. that kid never stopped smiling he's been through some of the worst stuff we've ever thought yep. of and yet he still manages to come to this every week because this this is his family it means so much and that means so much to me as well that i'm able to do that for him yeah so did you did you wrestle professionally in America before you came back here? Yes, or, yes. I did. Yes, I did. Um, my first professional show was in Montego Bay, mm-hmm. in Jamaica. Um, from there, I wrestled in Alabama, um, Atlanta, yep. um, Daytona Beach, Deltona. Um, I think that's about it. And so what age were you when you came back to the UK? I was 19, oh. but then I, I had to keep coming back to get my visa. Um, so I was, I, I lived with Adrian and Linda for six months. I came back to sort my visa out, and then I went back over to to work again through '95 and '96, and that was on the independent promotions with uh, a company called UWW United World Wrestling, mm-hmm. who was run by um, um, the, the, the Kraft family. I don't know if they're around anymore, but they had a lot of the old. Uh, a lot of the old guys from Florida, Greg the Hammer Valentine and Hulk Hogan's nephew, um, Horace Bollea, um, and they had a lot of big top old ex-stars yep. on their show, and I was just one of the 
I was cannon fodder. Yes. <laughs> so you didn't do a lot of winning in those days? No, not a lot. Not a lot. Got a lot of beatings. But that was part of the learning process. Yeah, it was part of the learning process. And uh, Randy had his ring out, and he was he was an actual cowboy. Mm -hmm. He was a proper cowboy. He used to break uh, break horses. So. Um, he, his ring was out in the horse yard so we yep. get bit to smithereens by mosquitoes and horse flies but we were out there morning, noon and night training yep. all the time and the ring was horrible it, was a, it wasn't a nice canvas it was yep. a tarp so it was like squeaky, 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 squeaky it was awful and, what, and lots of burn yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah we burned we were bitten it was miserable but it, to be rest, we were wrestling all the time yep. and we were doing the shows and it, it, was, it, was a, it was a nice atmosphere and I was the only Brit there the rest yep. of them were all you know um Southern wrestlers, and I was the only Brit there, so that was interesting. But I suppose you, it's an old cliche about living your dream. But you, you've been wanting to do this since you were six. Yeah, there must have been an element where you were living your dream. Oh you, yeah, what? I've been living my dream. I've been lucky enough to do more than I ever thought I would. Yeah. I, I, I never dreamt that I would meet the people that I've met, or wrestle the people I've wrestled, or rub shoulders, or share locker rooms with the people I have, yeah. or had. You know, signed thousands and hundreds and thousands of autographs, and you know, I've, I've, I've never that never crossed my mind actually. Yeah. I just all I ever wanted to do was try it. To be yeah. honest, I didn't think it was going to last that long. Yeah, certainly not this long. <laughs> so, you come back to the UK. British wrestling in the nineties was was not in a particularly good place, was no, it? No, not at all. It was, it was in a, it, well, it was on its ass, quite yeah. simply. Because after it got taken off TV in the late 80s, um, there was a succession of uh, seaside tribute shows mm -hmm. where you'd have Spider-Man versus fucking Bob the Builder. Not quite as bad as that, but, but the Matt's Crabtrees had gone and all we had left was uh, Brian Dixon promoting shows where um, there, were, there was the fake Undertaker versus the 321 Kid or the fake Legion of Doom versus, and it was all yep. that. Yep. And it was, it was bad, yep. it was bad. However, in saying that, it did keep the business going. Yep. Not, not by a long shot, but it did, by a thread. Yep. And then after that was the Attitude Era where there was you know, the ECW stuff, mm. which was the more hardcore element. Um, and that's when we started, well, I, I decided to start this. To do something in your own. To do something that was a bit edgy. We, we, we use the term professional wrestler, but you, can you make a living in this country as a, as a wrestler? Always have been able to. Always have been able to. Guys do today. Right. Um, whether it's through schools teaching, whether it's through wrestling, there's, there's enough shows. There has always been enough shows, right. even when it got taken off TV. Right. Um, up and down the country, there's people. They're, they're not, don't get me wrong, they're not earning a lot of money, mm -hmm. but they're living. Yep. And they're making their living. And those are the, those are the guys who are the journeymen, who are the workhorses, who, who are travelling up and down the country day and night for... You know, maybe 50 or 60 quid in, the, in expenses. Yep. But they're, they're making a living. They so are. There's a hard slog. It's yeah. a real hard slog. It's not for everyone. Yep. And it sure as hell wasn't for me. Yep. I was literally able to pick my battles and uh, pick the shows. Because I've, I've never been a wrestler's wrestler. I've always been more of an attraction. Mm -hmm. I've been a bit different. So I've been able to pick my shows. And if people wanted to book me abroad, I would, you know, put in quite a high price because yep. I think I'm worth it. Yep. Um, if I, you know, I've, I've put bums on seats and I always have done. Um, but I wouldn't want to be travelling up down the country doing that. Nothing for me. So where did the, the the dominator come from? Where did the makeup, the the spiked shoulder pads, where where, where did where did that originate this from? This is really like this one, right? So um, I went for years with the worst gimmicks ever. I was the hustler Stu Ace. 
Wait. With my, my valet misfortune, <laughs> I was uh, the Wasteland Warrior. Mm -hmm. I was the Shadow. Oh, I, I can't even remember some of them. They were so bad. <laughs> I was given such bad names. Um, so yeah, Cyclone Stew Storm when I came out of Adrian's. It, you know, it was, it was, yep. it was poor. So, um, yeah, one day uh, um, backstage at a wrestling show where the British Bulldog was doing his tour mm -hmm. of the UK, and I was lucky and fortunate enough to be on it back in 94, before we went back to WWF. And standing at the entrance where I reckon to go out, there was a smoke machine. And I looked and at the side of the smoke machine was written on it, the Dominator, which was the name of the machine. Yep. And I thought, I'm having That's that. And from there, Marilyn Manson was, was coming up. Oh, yes. Oh, you had Marilyn Manson, yep. Rob Zombie. Yep. And being a fan of rock and metal, it was a case of, I looked, I'm too pretty to be a bad guy. <laughs> I'm too pretty, man. So I painted my face. Yep. Um, and that's something, again, that's going to be in my book when it comes out. Where people say, where did the face paint come from? I've always wanted to be, my, I wanted my character to be something that I feared as a child. And the one thing I feared as a child was the punk movement was really big when I was a kid. Right. And uh, I, I've got two sisters, one of whom... Uh, we used to work for Paul Raymond, and she right. also was a dancer for, um, um, not Pants People, the other lot, uh, Hot Gossip. Oh, yes. She was a dancer for Hot Gossip, so she used to come, come into to the house, um, and she'd have this thick black eye makeup on. Right. You know, very Toy Wilcox, and it used to scare the shit out of me. <laughs> so the first thing I thought of when, what can I do to look terrifying, is use the black face paint, yeah. and that's where that came from. And stayed with you, stayed stayed with you ever since. Yeah. Tell you what, let's have another look at somebody we spoke to on the night of your retirement, um, and that is Flatliner, <laughs> who's an amazing character, yeah. um, and he's got some interesting stories to I'll tell. Bet he is. We'll see what he says. And Flatliner's known Stu for virtually all his career, really. Yeah, he was on the first show that I uh, that I was on, and like like that point. It was a real weird period for wrestling because like the world of sport would not tell you no more. WWE started to get popular again, so we wanted to see wrestling shows. And there was a lot of these little spare ribby, scrawny guys doing wrestling. There was a lot of big guys or a lot of gimmicks. And like, everyone says they're like their own kind best, didn't it? You meet two mutants, you know what I mean? We just got on from the get-go and we were the same uh, mentally, do you know what I mean? We both had a sick sense of humour, you know, and like we've been there We've been there for each other throughout 21 years, do you know what I mean? He was saying you were his best man? Yeah, yeah well, I was meant to be his best man, yeah. I got, I got sick, I had um, three years out. And I didn't speak to a lot of people then, you know, but we are where we left off, do you know what I mean? I mean, I carried his dad's coffin. Um, this is, it, always, it always shocks people, this, but it, it wasn't, you know the dynamic between us? Humour gets you through everything. So we're pulling his dad's coffin out of the hearse. Oh, it is, Stu. I won the dad's. And he went, you bastard. And laughed, but the thing is, I said, we're both League of Gentlemen fans, and it's a line out of the League of Gentlemen. I don't know, when everything's down and sad, you need a smile. And, and, and you know, we, we've always had that sort of affinity, you know, be it trying to tip a taxi over in uh, Halifax, or, you know, like, so really, like, you know, it's 21 years ago. You know, you know I'm, I'm still a juvenile twat, but I am still 21 years older. I'm a dad now and I've calmed down. But when you're good, no one remembers. When you're bad, no one forgets. 
my name ain't the best in wrestling because I messed around about too much. If I made as much effort to pop the crowd as I did the boys sometimes, I could have been a world champion. But, you know, a lot of people won't touch me, but Stu, he's always fought me corner. Um, we've been abroad together, we, we, we work, we did a distraction TV show. Uh, which was good fun, you know, but always... I've seen that. Yeah, no, that was like, that was a, that was a real jolly, you know what I mean? Especially when we, again, 15, 16 years ago, you know, it was nice to be doing something on the telly, and then when you entered the shows, you actually had a little bit of stardust, you had, you'd been on the telly, you're the wrestlers of distraction. So it's nice, you know what I mean? I've like, got some nice memories with him, you know? And a, and a bit special to be in his farewell show? No, I had to, I had to. I mean, um, so obviously a long-term friend with lots of lots of shared experience. Oh man, the first time I ever saw Chris, he's always looked like that. By the way, <laughs> he's literally be, he's 40 years old. Right. Most people think he's about 60, <laughs> but he's always looked like that. And the first time I met him, he was in his late teens. Yeah. And I thought, who's this guy? There's no one like him on the scene. There was there was just me. Yep. And then there was him. He looked like a Hulk Hogan, you know, with yep. the blonde beard. Um, he didn't have all this, he just had a blonde Hulk Hogan beard, the huge muscles, the, yep. he looked like an action figure, and it was like, whoa, yep. who's this kid? And he couldn't wrestle for Toffee, but it didn't <laughs> matter, because he had it. Yep. And you can be the best wrestler in the world, and, and you know, the crowd, if they don't like you, they don't like you. If they don't want to pop, they don't want to take you under their, into their heart, they won't. But he's just got something. Um, and people love him because that's it. What you, the entertainment element of wrestling, the engaging the crowd, the, you know, the getting people on your side. Not even yeah, that. It's there's more to it than that. There is this form of magic. Again, this is where something wrestling is so different than every, any other form of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Because you can be a great actor, you can have all the facials, you can be a great, you can recite lyrics, you can be a great frontman. There's something about wrestling you you can't teach. You, you, yeah. I mean, it's an aura. Yep. And it's something that you've got around you that makes people drawn to you, yep. that makes people buy your stuff or yep. believe in you or buy into what you're doing. And that's it, and he's got that. Yeah. And he might not be the best wrestler in the world, but it doesn't matter. Because I'd rather have 10 of him on the show than, than one, you know, flippy dippy kid, because yeah. he, you know, people warm to him, people yeah. love him. And, and he, he touched on Distraction there, and yeah. Distraction was a great programme, I remember yeah. watching it, but it wasn't until fairly recently I realised that, that you had been on it, and yeah. he, he says there that, you know, that brought the bit of stardust, because mm. UK wrestlers weren't on TV, so suddenly no, we you, got, you got that TV exposure. Yeah, we did a lot of TV as well, we did the two seasons of Distraction mm -hmm. with Jimmy Carr, and he, he loved us, he called us back again for the second season, and uh, we were like his, uh, he called us his Dolly Dealers. So we used to go out there and throw the people, while well, these young yes. students were getting asked questions, yep. we'd be throwing them through the air and I'd, I'd drop one bird on her head because she was a pain in the ass. <laughs> um, some Australian girl, she got dropped on her nut, which uh, nearly lost us the job. I remember Chris going, oh, fucking hell, Stu, that's, that's cost us this gig. But it didn't, of course. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we got to meet some, like Jonathan Ross, Kylie Minogue, uh, Chris got Bruce, Ed, uh, Bruce Forsyth in a headlock. Um, which terrified the poor old son. Um, it was great, it was good fun. I, 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 um, I made him do a wee in the Blue Peter Garden as well, so it was all, all good fun. <laughs> so yeah, what's, what's a really... You, you're saying you, you never expected to get to where you were, but just on the journey there, just so much. Yeah, so, so many I can't, honestly, things. it's going to be hard. It's, doing things like this, it's great because it opens a Pandora's box of nonsense yep. in my head. Because um, I've taken a lot of shots to the head in a a lot of um, uh, medicines, 
over the years that have allowed me to forget a lot of things. So um, it's nice now to be able to have people like yourself and uh, the guy who's ghostwriting my book for me come forward and, and ask me these things because it's opening up so many memories of things yep. that we've done. Because 25 years is a long time and, um, uh, you know, people forget, you know, everything's so accessible now. Everything's on demand all the time. You've mm -hmm. got the internet, you've got, uh, you know, people stream everything. They're, and wrestlers now forget that we were there yep. back in the day, like Chris said, mentions about distraction. Um, and we were um, the public face of British wrestling, yep. as awful as that, as awful as we were. <laughs> we were the public face of it for a number of years. So you, you get to a stage where you decide that you want to set up your own mm. company. So you, you establish EWW, you're in your late 20s, yeah. you've got 10 years worth of experience. Yeah. How difficult was it to establish yourself and sort of you find a niche? It, I'd, I'd, it was quite difficult in the fact that um, no, no, there was no one to teach. There was no one to teach me how to be mm -hmm. a promoter. Literally, we had to learn as we went. And I say by saying we, um, my business partner at the time was a very good friend of mine called Jamie Chipperfield from the Circus family. Oh, right, OK. Who was my business partner for the f 10 years after that. Um, and um, we kind of learnt as we went. He had a lot of circus experience. Yeah. So was a, he, he was being an old carny. He kind of showed me the ropes of how to do things. But it was, this, uh, you know, it was a case of get a bucket and paste, posters, get, get a ring, which was an old boxing ring. There was mm -hmm. no wrestling ring hire companies. Yeah. And, and 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 cobbled together a wrestling show as best we could yeah. with the talent that we had back then um, from you know different contacts that I had at the time and it was hard um, people didn't know who the hell we were mm -hmm. um, the first time we went into Oxford City Centre um, postering we got arrested because uh, we was in broad daylight and there was me holding the bill posters bucket and Jamie sticking up and the next minute we heard boop turn around and there's this policeman couldn't believe his fucking luck uh, morning lads, you do realise this is normally done at midnight, don't you, by the students? And he took all our posters away. And I said to him, come on, mate, come on, come, come, can't you just yep. take the bucket of paste? No. And he said, no, cheeky bastard. So, so it was literally learning, yep. le so learning yeah, as we went. And you, you, you say you were unknown, people didn't know who you were. So how many people turned up at a show? The first show we did about 250. Right, okay. So we did a good, yep. we, we've never done bad, that's what I mean. We've, yep. I'm, you know, I was always well known in my area back then yep. for being the, the local young lad who went out to be a wrestler yep. from a fairly wealthy family at the time. My father had been a golf pro mm -hmm. um, and so it, we, we were quite well known in the yep. area anyway. So it was a case of, um, I had to, um, well you say how did how was it funded? It was funded by the bloody RTS, the the, the retail training scheme working right. for Sainsbury's, right, okay. which was uh, awful. Working yeah. amongst a bunch of little Hitlers, which I had to just work at day and night, day and night. I wasn't, I didn't go partying with my friends. I didn't do anything like that. I, I led actually a very quiet, civilized, <laughs> my seventh civilized, civilized teenage life. I wasn't out getting on it all yep. the time. At all, and so because you had another focus, you had another focus, and I, you know, I was labelled as boring. You know, you become as you're boring. You don't want to go, and you don't want to go. I, I wanted to raise the money to to do this. Yeah, and then eventually, when it came time to do it, um, you know, and again, we didn't have the plethora of arenas or leisure mm -hmm. centres or halls. We had this place called Exeter Hall, which was in the middle of Kidlington in Oxford, which was they used to have old brass bands playing, and we had to go and talk to this Scottish old boy called Bert. It was like, oh, wrestling, eh? 
Oh, you know, that's a load of old shite, isn't it? It's all put on. <laughs> and we had to, like, come on, Bert. Oh, no, I prefer the brass bands. And we'd give Bert 700 quid. Come on, Bert, let's yep. put it on a show. And we did. And I knew enough people. And the rest yeah, was history. Um, it's, it's interesting talking to people, again, at the, on, on, on the, the night of your retirement show. And you, you, you have this iconic status. Um, one, do you realise you've got that iconic status? And if you do, when did, when did you realise that you had this um, effect on, on, on people within the industry? Um, I've always had people... I, no, I, I don't realise that in such... But I do realise I've got something that draws people to me. Yep. Um, and I've always, since I was young, had the waifs and strays of the world find me. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I've always helped them get better or whether they've had been bullied and I've stopped them being bullied mm -hmm. and I've helped them in some way. I've always been, I've always done that all my life. I've yep. always sort of like tried to help the small guy. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's very much what this is now, you know. Uh, everyone's got a story to tell. Yep. And everyone in the wrestling business, they're a broken bunch of misfits in there. <laughs> well, they all are. Yep. And they, but they all come to me, and this is their therapy. Yeah. They get to come and smash each other about, slam the living daylights out of each other, and that's, that's, that's their Sunday afternoon when everyone else is sitting home scratching their bum watching Bullseye. They're doing this. Relieve the stress and the tension. Yeah, and it does, and it's nice that I'm, I'm able to do that for yep. them, and um, I love that. Well, I'll tell you what, um, referee Paz, <laughs> Mark Parry, um, yeah, he's got some really nice things to say about you and good, me and good memories of what you've done for him. So let's have a quick look at Sweet. what he had to say. Today, this show is Body Slammers 9 and I started on Body Slammers 1. So, yeah, this is nine years with Stu tonight. So. And how did you get into refereeing? Um, I started training with Stu's wife 12 years ago as a wrestler. Didn't really fancy it, transitioned across to a ref. And yeah, that, that was my, that's my spot, that's my need, that's what I'm good at. I could be another one of those skinny guys that, that flips around, but yeah. this country hasn't got that many great refs, so I thought I'd try that instead. So Be a great ref. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a better ref than I ever would be a wrestler, so we'll just stick with that. It's quite interesting watching you in the ring as well, and there's an element of almost stage management and, and keeping keeping things running to time. Oh yeah, yeah. People don't realise that I'm not. We're not just counting falls. We're making sure the guys uh, don't hurt themselves. We're checking on them, like physically, make sure they're not hurt. We're making sure they keep to their times. If the guys forget any anything, obviously we know how the match is going to go. We can remind them what the next spot is, what's coming. They need to do this. Cameras are over there. This and that. You know, we're, we're, we are literally stage directors, not just there to, to count. And you've done more. I mean, you, you've done some WWE work, which is, is the most famous wrestling yeah. brand in the world. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I was on the first four episodes of NXT UK, and we did. I did the Royal Albert Hall show in 2017. So yeah, so I got to learn from the top of the craft on how to how to do my job to the best of my ability. So, and obviously, I'm trying as best as I can to pass it on to yep. to anyone that will listen here to to improve anybody on the on the British scene. So, and. EWW shows without Stu, how are they going to be in the future? It's going to be weird because, like, Stu's Stu's a big like father figure. He's just like he's he is EWW. It's his company. He's always been the figurehead of the company. And, and and thinking about a show that's not going to have Stu on, I've never done, I've never done an EWW show without Stu on it. So it's yeah. going to be weird knowing that he's going to be up 
up there watching yeah. as opposed to in there doing. Yes. So it's, it's, it's daunting and, and odd at the same time. I'm not sure how I feel about it. It's yeah. definitely going to be weird for sure. Yeah, the first one's going to be strange. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's like, how, how are we going to do without the Dominator on the show? You know, Can we still perform to that level that we know that we can when he's on a show? You know, We've got to obviously pick up a massive slack that, that Stu's going to leave behind. So, Picking up that point, mm. you know, you are EWW to, to a huge mm. extent. You're now not going to be headlining the shows. Paz says it's, it's, it's going to be a big hole to fill. Is, is, is that a concern as the promoter? No, it's not because it, you've been around us now for a couple of years, Stu, mm. and you have seen what I've done with the, the roster. My wife, Scarlett, is the top of the tree, really. Yep. Most, I, I've been slowly filing back over the last few years into mid-card status. Obviously, I've just done the main event because it's my retirement show, but I've not been putting myself up the top there because there's people who deserve it more. There's people who are more um, more athletically able to, to, and younger, who are able to do it to a better degree level than I am. Um, that's some people that we bring in, some of my own guys. So I've been, you know, although I am still a, a big draw, and that is, I, I don't think it's gonna affect things that much because I'm still going to be there. Mm -hmm. I'm still going to be um, booking the shows. I'm still going to be. Um, I'm still going to be running things. Um, I think it. Um, I, it's just going to be nice to watch how this mm -hmm. organically grows now without me. I'm, that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most. And, and you've also brought in some interesting characters to some of the shows over the last couple of years. The, particularly Priscilla, Queen of the Ring. Yeah. yeah and it, the, the, the showmanship behind all that. So the, always the thing for me is that there's so many wrestling shows in this country now that are wrestling by numbers, that cookie cutters. Mm -hmm. Two guys going out there wearing black trunks, black black boots. You know, it's it's not a show. It's just wrestling, 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 mm -hmm. wrestling. You can put on one great wrestling match um, and you can put on another one. By the time the third one comes, people want to see something different. So there yep. has to be, for me, variety. Yep. So you want a bit of comedy, you want some glamour, you want some real violence, you want some storylines, you want something that's going to pull people in from all angles. That's the one thing our shows have that I don't think any other show in the country has, and that's neutrals. We, people who come along for the show, they're not even wrestling fans. The amount of people who we've got on to love wrestling because of seeing us is probably second to none. I don't know, maybe there probably isn't another one in the country like that, and that's because of that show, Variety Phil. And one of the first times we met, you, you used the term physical theatre, and, mm. and, and that, to an extent, is what it is. It's yeah. the putting on a show. It's, it's the a show. It is a show. Um, it's not to diminish the work that anyone does, because, like I've said before, I did The Door for six years, and I've never been hit harder than in the wrestling ring. Mm. No-one on The Door managed to hit me as hard as I've ever been hit, yep. because when you lay yourself open to it, you're not, you don't lay yourself open to it when you're on the street or yep. when you're in a club. Yep. Um, but when you lay yourself home to it and you know it's coming, trust me, it hurts more. Mm. Um, and uh, once these guys, it, once these guys realise that violence really doesn't hurt that much, mm. well, and the body can withstand an awful lot. Mm. Once they get over the fear, because everyone has the fear to begin with, whether it's fear of doing a flip, mm -hmm. doing a roll, going backwards, um, taking a big suplex, everyone, there's always something one of these guys always has a bit of fear of. Once you get over that, you're able to do anything. And, and a huge amount of a 
trust in your opponent as well, I would imagine. Yeah, it's all about that. You can be the best wrestler in the world if you've got a tough opponent. Like I've always said to people, if I don't get on with you, you can make the match a great match, you can make it an average match, or if I don't like you, we'll have a real shit match. Yeah. And so it does take two, it always does. Yeah. So, talking of the future of, of EWW, um, we spoke to Scarlett, or Tanya, Mrs, Mrs. Tanya Allen, um, at, at, on the night, so um, let's have a look and see what she, how she was feeling that day. Tanya, must be an incredibly emotional night. Um, I'm just trying to keep everything together for everybody else's sake for now, but um, I'm going to be crying like a baby before the end of the night, I, I bet you. It's, um, it's been a really, really long day, um, and there's been lots to do, but um, there's just like this really weird energy in the air. Like, I don't even know if you can feel it, but everyone's just sort of like, wants to do such a good job, yeah. and like the reality is starting to sink in now, so everyone, I think, is going to end up breaking before the end of the night. I, I, I will. And, and first time you've worked as a tag team partnership for about a decade, he was yeah, telling. Yeah, it's been it's been a long it's been a long old time. So we haven't tagged since basically I retrained and got good. So let's see how that's going to work out. Um, yeah, I'm I'm really really excited. I, I'm I'm sad that it's his retirement show that well, it's the opportunity that we got to do it. But um, it's a massive opportunity to be in the cage as well. Like as a woman, massive opportunity. So. That, that's, that's what I was going to ask. The, the fact that it is the cage, does that, as a wrestler, does that add more significance, more tension, more...? The, the cage, I... The cage, it just hurts. Everything about it hurts. You can't prepare for the cage. It just, it just is. So uh, us four are just going to have to leave it out there and just see how we get back and how we're feeling when we get back. But, um, yeah, it's... Um, it is a lot of pressure, and I would say I want to do a, a good job. Stu's retirement is a big show. I'm going to do a good job as an ambassador for our for our school, um, as a role model for our students. Um, boo! <laughs> um, and also just because it's like a massive opportunity that I've been given, so girls don't get chucked into the main event very often. And they certainly don't get chucked into a steel cage match. And, and, but that's been sort of the, the, one of the significant points of your career. It's about breaking down barriers for women wrestlers. Well, I just think that by the end of when I am in Stu's position and when I'm ready to retire, if I haven't left the industry in a better place for women than I found it when I started, then I haven't done a very good job. So just touching on something Tanya says there about you know, women not getting the chance to main event, to be in the cage. She really has kind of redefined a woman's role in wrestling, hasn't she? Yes, yeah, she has, yeah. Women's wrestling was um, seen as the popcorn match, mm -hmm. dare I say. Um, it wasn't taken overly seriously. It was always, you know, very much TNA um, for the guys, a bit of titillation. Um, rather than their focusing on their ability. Things like brand panties match, yeah, I remember Tommy telling me about WWE, in the Attitude Era, didn't do anything to help that. Yep. Since then, people like Soraya Knight, uh, who is one of Tom's mentors in Norwich, uh, started a company called Bellatrix, which started some very hardcore, serious um, women's wrestling shows, which um, went down really well. Tan, um, in turn, as, as she's helped me as much as I've helped her. I had to say to her when she first started, because when, when I got older, she was just a, a prank monkey. She was a stunt artist. She could do dives off the top. 
you know, if anyone needed to do a silly dive over the top rope or off the top rope or off a speaker system to the outside, she was the one to do it. Yep. But she could, she didn't know a wrist lock from a from a fucking uh, padlock. She couldn't do. She couldn't wrestle. Yep. And I said to her, "I will teach you to wrestle when you come to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to ask you anymore. But I'll tell you what: just because you're my wife, you ain't going to be on my shows until you do, because you're not good enough." And that that, that hurt her. Yep. It hurt me to have to say it to her too. But we, we did a profile of her uh, last year, and you, she talks quite openly about that. And even she yeah. said that in the interview, you know, when she retrained and got good. So yeah. I think now you're looking back on it, she, she understands, you know, knows where, where she was, where she came from, and, yeah, oh, and, she and, does. And, and the significance of what she's doing. Well, I've put, I've put her through it. People yeah. are so quick to, uh, you know, wrestling can be a very bitter, bitchy industry, and mm. so many people can say, oh, nepotism. Stu just puts his missus into the main event, but it's not that she's earned it. Yeah. And she, she's able. She's one of the few women in the industry, not just in this country, but in the industry, who's able to go in the ring or in the cage with a male opponent, yep. and no one questions it. No one says, "Oh, hold on, this is not right." They look at them not as a, uh, not not the sexes, but they look at them as two athletes, yep. and that's something that she's got that very few women have got. Mm. So, very much they've. You know, sort of uh, Tanya Scarlett is mm. one of, kind of the future planks of EWW going forward. She is totally the future. She's, you know, she's my head trainer at my school. Um, she's the one who uh, she puts the shows together with me. I wouldn't do it if she wasn't around. If she wasn't, if we weren't together, I wouldn't carry on doing it. I would, you know, she she ke- she's kept me going. I wouldn't have done the last ten years if it wasn't for her. Yeah. And there's times when I wanted to just, oh, I just can't be bothered to promote shows. The anxiety, the stress, the financial mm. side of it. I didn't, I didn't want to do it, really. But it was her love of it and her determination to be a good wrestler and, more than anything, an ambassador to women's wrestling. That drove me forward into producing the things that we've got now. Just before we wind up, well, one of the things I'd like to talk a little bit about is, is the, the training that goes on here mm. and, and, and how you train your people. Because, you know, again, we, we've touched, during the interview, we've touched on the, the theatrical elements of wrestling, the performance mm. element of wrestling, but you fundamentally believe that before people can go out there and, and, and do the stunts, they've got to have the basics. Mm. And you know, So when somebody turns up here for the first time, you're absolutely about basics, about breakfalls, what, what methods or what, what the basics you teach? Well, when I went to Adrian's, Adrian Street was uh, one of the best hookers in, in wrestling history. You know, by hookers, I mean shooters. So he was, he was a legit shooter. A lot of those old guys who trained alongside Adrian were, you know, you've heard of Billy Robinson. Oh, yes, very much, yes. Well, Adrian and Billy wrestled together a lot. So Adrian, a lot of those old old hookers, they all trained together and fought together. Adrian, if he wants to hook you, he'll hook you. I don't care how good you think you are, if he wants to hook you. Even now, the guy's, you know, the guy's need, you know, he's in his 80s. If he wants to hook you and make you squirrel like a pig, you're, you're going down with him. Um, so I w- was trained by Adrian Greco-Roman and also Sombo. And uh, when I first moved to Hastings, um, I, I, I didn't teach pro style, I taught MMA. Right. Um, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was submission wrestling. Because that's, sort of, that's the old sort of catch wrestling style from, from, from the north of England, isn't yeah, it? That's so from kind of where that, where that Wigan, grew from. Yeah. Which is, again, Billy Robinson. Everyone talks about how good the Japanese are. 
Billy Robinson went and taught the Japanese. Because uh, he, he wants another Billy, Billy Riley is, is a name I've, I've, Riley, I've read quite, yeah, quite a bit. Yes, yes. There's a great video of him coaching people while wearing his soft hat. Well, if you want to, yes. Well, if you want to go and feel about it, you've got Sir Arthur Lotley as well. Mm. There's a wonderful book called Blue Blood on the Mat because he, uh, he was related to royalty. Mm. And he, uh, he uh, were there, these were the old boys who set up at the carnivals and used to take on members of the public. Mm. Um, and they were proper serious old shooters. Now, to be a good wrestler, I'm not saying that you have to be a, a fighter, but it doesn't have help because a lot of those old wrestlers did have bad backgrounds in judo. Um, and uh, a lot of the guys, a lot of the guys in here now, um, when they're not wrestling, they're also doing gymnastics. They're also doing MMA, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, for instance, a lot of them. And that, of course, that helps. That makes a massive difference. Because I suppose if you're in the ring, in a show, and you're trying to sell a move, you've kind of got to know how it feels to have it done properly. I always say, oh no, no, this will never, it never goes down well when I talk about this. So I say one of the first things you should you should receive when you come to wrestling school is a punch in the face. <laughs> People should know how to how it feels yep. to to number one know how to take it. Number two, how to control the red mist. Hmm. Because the, one of the questions I get asked most frequently by the members of the public isn't, oh, it's, it's all fake and it's all fake. It's, how, how, do you lose your temper with each other in there? That's always an interesting one for me, yeah. because you know you get you, we get hit hard, mm -hmm. and it's to be able to control that mist is part of the training. Now I say to these guys week in week out, does it look like you're in a contest? Does it look you're, like you're competing with each other? Does it look like you're legitimately not going through the wrestling by numbers? Yep. You're actually trying to escape. You're doing everything you can not to let that guy get the better of you. If it doesn't, you're going to fucking do it again. Yep. <laughs> and so I think having a competitive background is certainly a massive bonus, yeah. Yep. And I suppose it's by laying down those principles, laying down those ground rules, that I suppose you are where you are today. Yeah, I think so. I think, and again, it's not just teaching them the ground fighting element or the, or the shoot fighting element, the freestyle. It's learning how to, again, develop themselves as better people to their, their hygiene for instance to mm. put on deodorant to brush your teeth before you're in close contact with each other yep. we're up close if i see all you underarm stragglers hanging down i'm gonna fucking rip them out you know and i have to teach these guys yep. that i have to teach them you know how to look after themselves how to conduct themselves when they're on other shows because a lot of them now are working outside of eww they're yep. going out to wrestle for ldn and WAW, yep. and uh, some of them are going off tomorrow on a tour of Slam oh, really? in the Black Country. Um, so you know, a lot of them are starting to branch out now, yep. and it's important that if they're representing me in this school, that they represent themselves well, and they're humble, they help with the ring, they help with every aspect of the show. Um, and that's what I teach them. I also teach them manners. Yep. Um, because if, you come, if, you, if, if a kid walks into a locker room and doesn't introduce himself, there's, there's a problem there, and, mm. and that doesn't just go for the wrestling business, that goes down in, in yeah. business, in, in life. Yep. Um, and if you haven't got that, you ain't going to go anywhere. So just finally, reassure the fans, <laughs> you might have walked away from the ring, and you've said you'd definitely walk, you're, nothing's going to tempt you back. <laughs> never say never. No, but no. you're not, you're, you're, you're retired from the ring at the moment, mm. but you're not retired from EWW. No. You're still, that's, no. still, that's still you. This you're is my still passion. I, I look forward to teaching this lot. Yep. As much as they get on my nerves and they drive me crazy sometimes, you know, they bang your head against the wall. 
I wouldn't be without them. I love this school. I love the business. The thing, the thing is, like my father always said, if, 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 if you don't love the sport you're doing anymore, get out of it yeah. because you're not serving anyone. Yeah. And that's very true. And, and, and I, I love the wrestling business because it's been good to me. Yep. And I like to think I've been good for it. So I'm going to stick around because I want to see where these silly, silly little sods go from now.